Well, here we are. We're moving into the Christmas season now, and uh, you know, it's, uh, oops, sorry, Junior Church, you're dismissed. And uh, you know, we're, we're past Black Friday, and we've got Cyber Monday, and all of the different things that are coming up. And so it's, it's, a, it's an exciting time of year. It's a, it's a hectic time of year. But I don't know about you, but for me, it's also a time of reflection and a time where, where, uh, where I reflect back on the memories of the past. And, uh, you know, those memories, whenever you do that, whenever you look back in the past, those, those memories are not always good memories, but sometimes they're bad memories. Uh, and so it's a, it's a season where, where you experience the whole range of emotion. I guess that's the best way to put it where sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Interestingly enough, that's the, the title series of Pastor Roman's series that he's going through over the next month or so. But it's a time where we have both good memories and bad memories. I have lots of good memories. Um, probably shouldn't share some of them with you. I was a devilish child, and I used to do things with the manger seat under the Christmas tree and the Back, back in the day, there, all the Christmas ornaments were, were glass. I used to do things to them that one should not do. Uh, but there are, uh, you know, there are memories from the past that are good and they are bad. Also, you know, when you think about years gone by, there are people that, that you shared this holiday with that you're not going to be able to share with them anymore because they've moved on into eternity. But then as you also reflect back, you think back to the plans and aspirations uh, that, you, that you may have had when you were growing up or when you were a, a young woman or a young man. Some of you are growing up still and, and some of you are young women and young men still. Uh, but as you get older, you realize that there are some plans and aspirations and things that you had hoped to do that you weren't able to quite realize. So once again, to coin the term that Pastor Roman uh, used to phrase this season, it's a season of ups and downs. So when we think back, you know, in our lives, and when we think about the, 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 the current, the, uh, the zeitgeist, I guess that's the term that I want to use, or the, the, the current of flow of what this world and what this age values as what marks out a prosperous, successful, and abundant life. I guess it all depends on what kind of background you come from. I'm the son of Italian immigrants, and uh, if you are the son of an Italian immigrant, you are expected to get a college education. You are expected to move on and get a graduate degree uh, because those things would bring assurance of a high-paying job, you know, and. Uh, Every, every Italian mother and every Italian father, uh, you know, wants to see their son married, having children, a big house, and a vacation home. So, you know, uh, some of those things you get and some of those things you, you don't get, right? But that's the aspiration. That, that's the way being the child of an Italian immigrant uh, calibrates and determines what is a successful and those things that mark out a happy life. But here's the thing that you realize 
as you walk through this life, if you've walked through this life for any amount of time, that you can be successful and still be unhappy. Just look at the lives of the rich and famous, how many of them are rich beyond means and they wear all the best clothes and they drive all the fancy cars and have houses on Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket or different places, you know, they winter in Aspen and summer on the French Riviera and yet there's still misery. Their lives are marked by, by multiple divorces. Their lives are marked by drug overdoses. And so you, you can be successful, but that doesn't mean you're happy. And so when we look at our own lives, uh, uh, sometimes, you know, we've, we achieve some of the goals that we want to achieve. Uh, and when we achieve them, uh, as we think back on them, were they really happy times of our lives? Uh, and many got to the place, I know I did, I got to the place where, you know, I asked myself the question, is this all there is? Is there nothing more? You know, I became successful in aviation at a very young age and, uh, and was making good money and was married, had my own house, you know, living the American dream. And, uh, and uh, I still found myself asking one day, is this all there is to life? Is there nothing more? to this. So it's my experience, it's been my personal experience that you can lead a successful life but not necessarily be happy. But here's a, an inverse truth, that an abundant life, a life that is abundant and full, always equals a successful life, right? And that abundance doesn't always mean that you're going to get everything that you want. It doesn't mean that you're going to have all the money that you want or that you're never going to go through interpersonal relationships or health struggles or, or, or financial struggles or vocational struggles. That, those are not the things that make an abundant life. To live an abundant life means to live a life that is plentiful, a life that has more than enough of the things that make this life worth living. Now don't be deceived, really, at the end of the day. And so, you know, I'm, I'm 65 years old now, bearing down on 66. And I can tell you that at the end of the day, having, you know, walked this earth now for, you know, bumping up against 70 years, that really the things that make up an abundant life can only be found in one place, ultimately. That's, a, and that's in Christ Jesus and in his kingdom. And so that's been my you know, my experience and the conclusion that um, I have come to now in the latter years of my life. And so that's what I kind of want to share with you today. Uh, I want to share with you a text out of Isaiah chapter 55 that really marks out six things that we can do or that we need to be prepared to do in order to get to that place where we can honestly say, despite you know, the ups and downs in life, despite the money problems someone was sharing with me this morning that, you know, uh, how are things going? Well, they could be going better, you know, uh, the usual thing, money problems, that there are relationship problems, that in spite of all of those things, you can have an abundant life. And, you know, this is, this is the season where nobody, nobody wants to go into this season in a state of melancholy or, or in a state of of feeling that there's something missing. And so 
as we move through these texts today, I'm going to give you six points that are found in Isaiah chapter 55 that if you, if you believe them or if you were to put them to the test and try them in your life, you'll see that these principles, that these precepts are true. And you will find yourself increasingly feeling that, you know what, even though I'm going through these things, my life is becoming more and more abundant every day. And I have God to thank for that because of the grace that he shows me through his word and through his spirit. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 55 today. But before I do that, you know, it's important to anchor whatever you're going to say about the Holy Scriptures in its proper context. And so we're talking in Isaiah today, and I'm just going to give you some background information on Isaiah today, and then we'll get right into the text. So Isaiah ministered during the reign of four Judean kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So Isaiah began his ministry roughly around 740 to 739 B.C. And his ministry was principally to the people of Jerusalem and Judah. His task was to explain to the chosen people. Now remember, they were... Now, this message is being delivered during a time of great upheaval, societal and cultural upheaval, not unlike what we're going through during, in our time. And his task was to explain to the chosen people, Israel, that the old world was passing away and a new order was coming on the scene, uh, an order that would be controlled by Gentile world empires that would swallow up Judah, and it would require a new commitment from God's people to put their trust in their God, Yahweh. The ten northern tribes were irrevocably destined to be conquered and departed from the land, not to return, by the way, until they are brought back during the time of the Great Tribulation. So the ten northern tribes are still in dispersion. The southern tribes would be conquered and carried away to Babylon, but they would return after 70 years, and they were to trust the word of the Lord and submit to their Babylonian captives. Now, the book of Isaiah contains more prophecies of the Messiah than any other book in the New Testament. And it's divided along these lines. So if you were to go through and study Isaiah, you would find that in Isaiah chapter 1 to verses 39, the Messiah is portrayed as the coming king who will vanquish all of the enemies and foes of Israel. And from chapters 40 to 66, the Messiah is portrayed as the suffering servant who would redeem his people from their sins. And so it's within this context that this message in Isaiah chapter 55 is delivered. Now, there's some interesting things, so it can be quite challenging to, I know I'm almost done with this part, it can be quite challenging to discern the time reference exactly to whom Isaiah is speaking. For example, you'll find prophecies in the book of Isaiah where Isaiah is a prophet living during this time who's prophesying or bringing a word to his contemporaries that God has given him to bring. There are other times when Isaiah is delivering a prophecy from his time period to a people who will live 
in the future. And then the most confusing one is there is Isaiah speaking as a prophet to a future people as being present with them in that future time. And so that's where Isaiah 55 comes in. He's speaking as if present in the future during the time of Judah's captivity in exile. Okay, so that brings us now to Isaiah chapter 55 and the six points, the things that they needed to keep in mind while they were in captivity, that even though they looked around them, they were far from their homeland, and they were a people who had been subjugated, and they were a people who were, who were at the mercy of their captives and really couldn't see any light at the end of the tunnel, uh, God brings this message to them through Isaiah to say, look, if you do these six things, even though right now things are not the way you want them to be, even though as you look upon your circumstances, you don't see yourself as being successful, you will still have an abundant life and I will take care of you in the place where you are. Point number one, recognize that you have a need. Recognize that you have a need. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. That is, first and foremost, they were and we are as we go through times that are not so unsimilar to what they were going through, is to recognize that we have a need. No matter what your position is in life, no what your status is, no matter what social circles that you, you are uh, frequenting or what your vocation is, it's important for you to understand it, to see within yourself that you and I have not yet arrived. We're not there yet. That we all have a need. So that's step one. Hey, there's something missing in my life, even though, you know, things are going good, there's something that's still not right. There's something that still wakes me up in the middle of the night and makes me wonder, what's wrong? I can't quite put my finger on it, but I know that not all is not well. All is not as it should be. When, when that happens, there are generally one of two ways that people will, will deal with that. Number one... If you've sat under the ministry here for years, you'll, you'll remember that I've said many times that many times people will deal with these feelings of finally recognizing that they have a need by turning to the anesthetics of the world, the anesthesia that the world has to offer. And that runs the whole spectrum of, of, of it's as much as the sand of the seashore. It can be relationships, it can be money, it can be workaholic. We see the great tragedy in our time of, of drug addiction and alcohol abuse. People will turn to those things because they know that something is not right. Something is not well. Everything is not all okay in Kansas. So sometimes people turn to that. But the scripture tells us to turn to him, to have the courage to say, you know what, 
things are, things can be better. Even though I have all these things, there's something still missing. I don't know what it is, but I have to admit it. I have to finally be brave enough to have enough courage to say, yeah, there's something missing, and I need to find out what it is. You've got to go to the place where you can get what you're looking for. We've been deceived into thinking that it can be bought with money, but it doesn't involve money. You can't purchase it. As a matter of fact, we're just wasting our money trying to purchase it. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2, it says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Bread here is being used metaphorically is that which fuels and feeds the internal life, the spiritual life, that thing which gives us to drive, to walk forward each and every day, to put one foot forward down in front of the other in spite of all of the obstacles and adversities and tragedies that we face. You can't get it with money. So God asks through the prophet Isaiah, why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy you know what it is like, you right? You buy a shiny new toy, you know, a new computer, whatever your stick is, you know, whatever thing. Some people it's video games, other people it's boats or motorcycles or cars or computers or whatever, you know, you get it. Especially, you know, how many of you have been there, you know, ah, you really wanted this new vehicle and you went out and bought this brand new car. It's beautiful, it's shiny. You don't want to take the dealer sticker off of it, you know, and you love it. You love the smell of a new car, and then six months later, it's like, man, I still got to pay for this darn thing for another six years. Right? You thought that car was going to bring you some satisfaction, but all it brought you was six years of payments. And your wages for what does not satisfy this is what God says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight in abundance. So recognize that you have a need, number one, and recognize that your need will be filled only from coming and listening and following God's formula. So point one, recognize you have a need. Point two, incline your ear to God. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3, it says, Incline your ear to me and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. So that word incline there means to be drawn to an opinion, to be convinced of something, but not only to be convinced of something, but to be intentional to respond in a certain way in your life. You know what? There's something missing. I'm finally admitting it to myself, and everything that I've tried so far isn't working. That hole is still there. That void is still there. That, that feeling of angst and anxiety is still there. It's not going away. Everything that I've tried is not fixing it. It's still there. It's there. God, help me deal with it. And I'm going to listen to you Finally, after all these years of trying to do it my way, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to start not only listening but putting into practice 
what your word says I ought to do. So to incline is to be drawn to an opinion of a, or a course of action. You know, to, to, to just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Years ago, many of you are too young for this, but there used to be this uh, investment company called E.F. Hutton. How many of you remember E.F. Hutton? How many of you remember the commercial of E.F. Hutton? As soon as someone said E.F. Hutton, everybody in the vicinity went, right? So this is what God is asking us to do. He's asking us to listen to him. You recognize that you have a need that you can't fill. Now it's time to start listening to what I'm telling you to do and put it into practice. After you recognize that you have a need, then make a decision that you're going to go to God for the solution. You're going to go to God for his guidance. There's a promise there. The promise is, your soul shall live. Or a way of saying that in the common vernacular is, man, it's going to be a great life. And man, it is a great life. I don't mean it's a life without fear. I don't mean that it's a life without sorrow. I don't mean that it's a life without adversity. It contains all of those things. But here's the things that I've learned after uh, all these years. I've been walking with Christ now for 35 years. Uh, I got saved at the age of 30. That there are things that you will learn in the times of adversity. You will feel the presence of God. God will show up in your life during those times of adversity like in no other time. You feel the presence of God. So yeah, even in the midst of that adversity, even in the midst of that sadness, even in the midst of that tragedy and catastrophe, it's a great life. But then there's other parts to that life that make it great too. When you're in fellowship with other believers, you have people who are on common ground or you sometimes wonder, man, am I, I doing what God wants me to do? I, I feel like I should be doing more, you know, and then bam, all of a sudden God sends someone your way and, and uh, you get the clear message that God wants you to share Christ with them and, and you share Christ with them and you, you become involved in the lives of people and see how you can see the transformative work of the Holy Spirit not only in their lives but in your lives. So there's good times and there's bad times. There's seasons of joy and there's seasons of sadness. But the promise is that if you incline your ear to me, listen to my guidance and put it into practice in your life, your soul shall live. You will have a great life. And God promises that he will never leave you. You'll never be left hanging on a cliff or on a tightrope by yourself. And so the next verses, verses 4 and 5, God brings them and us back to David and what David declared. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 4 and 5 as we move on. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, David, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and the nations who do not know you shall, shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. 
There's a lot of stuff there. Let me just take a minute or two to unpack some of that. First of all, he points to David. Now, let's think about David for a moment, right? So David uh, was, you know, he was out in the field tending to sheep, bat dumb and happy, and all of a sudden he gets called, you know, to, to, to be his anointed as the next king of Israel. And so David walks through his life, but David made some pretty serious mistakes, some pretty serious misjudgments in his life. Can anyone tell me one or two of them? Anyone? Doug? Bathsheba. Right? Everyone here knows the story of Bathsheba? I think this is where God's sense of humor kind of shows up in the scripture, right? So, so David is he's, he's king, and his army is it's in the springtime of the year. His army's gone out to fight, and he should have been with his army, but instead he stays in the palace. And one night he's on the roof of his house, on the roof of his palace, and he looks down and he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba taking a bath, right? That's God's sense of humor showing up. And so the story goes, he commits adultery with her. God's not going to let him get away with it. Uh, And she gets pregnant. And in order to shroud the pregnancy, uh, you know, he tries to have her husband come home and be with his wife. Doesn't work. So he finally has her husband put on the front line. And he's killed. So David made some pretty serious mistakes. And... There was all kinds of problems with his children. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, no matter what adversity he, made, adversity he faced, no matter what mistakes he made, he turned back to the Lord, and the Lord cleared him and took him and set him high and fulfilled his promises to him. Now, now next level, let's think about, let's think about the nation of Israel and how they rebelled against the Lord right from the get-go. I don't think 15 minutes passed between, they agree, between the time they agreed to the covenant on Mount Sinai until they, until they broke the covenant. And throughout all the history, you see them being unfaithful to their God, even up until this present time. But God is still faithful to them, and he will bring them back, and they will work, walk in obedience to him. And they are still his chosen people. So when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. And he works the course of history. He works the course of providence, as we call it, in their lives. And he's working the course of providence in your life, despite the things that you're going through, to bring you to his end, the end that he has designed for you. So if you look on the success of David when he finally chose to follow God's command, you can have and we can have the same results. There's a promise there. Point number three. Okay, so we've covered, understand that you have a need. Point number two, incline your ear to hear what God has to say and put it into practice. Point number three, understand that this is a limited time offer. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, I want to speak specifically. I want to apply this specifically to those times, those events that occur in our lives 
you know, we get into a flow, you know, Monday through Friday flow, we get into a flow, and where things happen in cycles, the same thing happens, right? I get up at six, I have my coffee, yada, 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 I go out the door, I come home, I watch TV, go to bed, yada, yada, yada. But every once in a while, something happens in your life that brings life to a full stop. A full stop. Have you ever experienced that? Life comes to a full stop. You lose your job, relationship breaks, death of a loved one, life comes to a full stop. And it's at those times that God is getting our attention. It's at those times that our senses and our, our intuition is sharpened so that we're able to perceive what is going on here? What message is God trying to get to me? What is it that he wants me to see? What is it that he wants me to see? And here's the thing. When you go through, you, you got to plan for it ahead of time. you gotta, you got to be intentional about this. When those areas, when those times come into your life, that's when you need to stop and say, okay, this has interrupted my daily flow. God's got my attention. What is it that he wants me to see? You need to be intentional about that. And that needs to be the first question. When you go into those time periods to ask God to show you, what is it, you got my attention, God, what is it that you want me to see? Because here's the thing. Life eventually gets moving again. And we get into the flow again. And our spiritual perception diminishes again. And we just keep moving on and we get back into the flow like fish swimming in the stream. So it's important during those times, what is it, Lord, that you want me to see through this test, through this adversity, through this blessing, through this happiness, through this sorrow? Understand that it is a limited time offer. Those times don't last very long. And once they're past, and you haven't taken advantage of the opportunity, you haven't learned the lesson that God wants you to learn. One thing I've learned over the years is if there's something that God wants me to learn and I'm not learning the lesson, he'll bring it around again. And next time it'll be even harder. That's just the way he works, right? So when things don't happen right away, we have a tendency to give up and to move on to the next plan because we're a people of instant gratification and instant results, but it takes time to see what God would have us to see. So we've got to call for his presence. You've got to act. You've got to seize the moment because it's a limited time offer. Point number four. Sometimes you just have to abandon your current plan. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So sometimes we're left feeling empty, we're left feeling adrift, we're wondering what's going on, we can't seem to figure things out, because it's due to Something that's in our life that God wants to get out of our life. That's just the way it is. 
And sometimes those things are not easy. You know, again, I came to the faith as a 30-year-old man and I have already, had already developed some substantial habits, right? And they don't go away overnight. It takes time for those things to go away or to resolve those things. And so it takes time. But the point is, is and God realizes that. And God wants us to be working on them. So there are things in our lives, sometimes we are our own worst enemies. We all examine ourselves. We know that there are things in our lives that ought not to be there, that we ought to be working on them. So sometimes we have to just say, this isn't working. I've got to change. God, give me the strength to get this out of my life or to get this right in my life. So sometimes we have to abandon our current plan. Sometimes when we come face to face with that, you know, we develop the attitude that what God wants me to do here just doesn't make any sense. It seems to, it seems to, to fly in the face of all reason and logic. Sometimes when we've gone so far astray from what God wants us to do, the hardest thing to do is to go back to God and return to following him. I think we've all experienced this in our lives. You know, we all take a, a side trip into sin. You know, we get, we get pulled away into something that we shouldn't be doing. We know we shouldn't be doing. We know we shouldn't be doing it, but we do it anyway. And then, you know, what starts to go? The prayer starts to go. The Bible reading starts to go. The fellowship starts to go. And it all starts to go. And you know when you're in that place, the hardest thing to do is to get back to where you know you need to be. You'll avoid praying. You'll avoid scripture. The last thing you want to do is be in fellowship with God's people. And so you stay away. And so you stay away. And it's put you on a path. It's put me on a path at times that I knew I needed to get off. And God brought me to the point where I realized that that path that I was on, I had to abandon and turn away from it. So that's point number four. Okay, so point number one, incline, uh, recognize that you have a need. Point number two, incline your ear to God. Point number three, understand that it's a limited time offer. Point number four, you have to abandon your current path or plan. Point number five, and this is the hardest one in my estimation. Understand that you're never going to see the whole path. You're never going to see the whole plan or formula in advance. So when you finally say, God, I'm ready to do it your way, this doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to do it your way. And then you find out that God never really seems to show you more than one step ahead. never shows you more than one step ahead. There are, you know, corners you can't see around as you look forward. I don't know how this is going to work out. I can't, I can't even see five feet in front of me in this. There are blind corners. There are hairpin turns. There are steep grades, steep slopes. You don't see the path forward. But that's the path that God wants you to walk. You know why? As it says in the scriptures in the book of Habakkuk, 
The just will live by his faith. A call to a life of faith and a call to trust. In my estimation, this is the one that I kick against the most. Still to this day, I kick against it. Sometimes you just can't see the path forward. God never seems to show you more than one or two steps in advance. And you just say, I'm going to walk it. I'm going to walk it. Even if it leads me off the edge of a cliff, I'm going to walk it. So understand that you're never going to see the whole plan or formula in advance. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The reality is, is God's plans, his thoughts, and his purposes for our lives are oftentimes much different than our own thoughts and plans for our lives. That his ways are not our ways. The path or methodology, methodology that God uses to get us to where he wants us to be are different than the methodology we would like him to use oftentimes. And his ways are higher than our ways. That is, it's beyond our ability to understand or follow. It transcends our ability to comprehend. So you're never going to see the whole plan from start to finish. And finally, point six. Believe that God, that God's formula has a 100% track record for success. And it does. 100%. It's never failed, not even once. Closing out, verses 10 and 11, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen, here it is. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which, for which I sent it. So there is a guaranteed result, right? So you find yourself in that place, you know? I mean, I'm 65 years old. I'm coming up on 66, and there are, there are times when, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night, like, what's going on? I'm just, like, have this feeling of angst and anxiety. I, I don't know what it's coming from. What's going on here, you know? And, and uh, this, is kind of, this is kind of the process that I need to follow through this, and I want to propose that it'll work for you too. Okay, what's going on? God, I'm listening. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'm going to move on it right away because I understand it's a limited time offer. And I also understand that I'm not going to see everything in advance that you want me to do, but I'm going to follow you because I know that you have not let me down once in my life. Your promises have always come true. So there's the guaranteed result. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 12 says, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. 
The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Joy, the feeling of happiness that comes from success, good fortune, and a sense of well-being, peace, a state of calm, quiet, freedom from disturbing thoughts and, emo disturbing thoughts and emotions. How many of you could use a little more peace in your life right now? It's many of you. There's the promise there. If we will implement these six principles in our life, this, is the pro this was the promise that, that God was making to those, the Jews who were captive in Babylon, far from their home, in many cases away from their families. Even though you're there, if you do these things, I promise you, you will have an abundant life even there. And I will be with you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. So peace is a state of calm and quiet, freedom from disturbing thoughts and emotions. We could all use that. And finally, verses 12 and 13, for you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth, singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the brier shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that will not be, come off, that will not be cut off. So life will just start going your way, and everything will be working in harmony all around you. Or as I like to say, everything, the engine will be firing on all eight cylinders. It doesn't mean that you won't have adversity. It doesn't mean that you won't have sorrow. It doesn't mean any of those things. But even still, you're walking in lockstep with God's will for your life. And there will be harmony, and there will be peace, and there will be quiet, and yes, even joy in the midst of those storms. So I don't know what your, you know, what any of you are going through or what you're going through. Or, you know, you may be going through a difficult time right now or things may be sailing along smoothly. Some of you are dealing with, you know, potentially financial issues or, or uh, relationship issues or family issues or vocational issues. Uh, and so I don't know, but just remember, remember these things when you get into that place where I, get, I just can't see any way out of this, you know, that, that God has got you in that place for a reason. And there are six things just out of this passage. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things, but just out of this passage, six things that he wants you to remember. One, be courageous enough to say, there's something not right here, and I need to figure out what it is. Then you need to go to God and say, God, I'm ready. Can you show me what it is? And then say, God, when you show me what it is, I'm ready to act on it right away because I know that you've got my attention now, but you may not hold my attention for long. And God, now that you've got my attention and I'm ready to act, I'm also ready to change course, to change whatever it is that you say I need to change. And I know, God, that as I go into the into this future, into this path that you want me to walk, that I'm not going to be able to see around every corner. But I trust you. I trust you. Because I know, Lord, 
that all of the promises that you have made to me in my life thus far, you have kept and you have not broken a certain one. And so as you navigate through this season, as Pastor Roman calls it, of ups and downs, remember that God is there, you're not alone, and he will carry you through this time, but it's important to listen, to be still, to be quiet, and to listen what he's saying to you. Now, one final note, and I'll be done. I'm right on schedule. I'm operating here on the assumption that everyone in this room has turned to Christ in faith and repentance. But I ultimately don't know that. And everything that I've talked about, everything, all of these words, all of these principles, they apply to children of God, to those who have turned to Christ in faith and repentance. What does that mean? Well, it means that you're finally being brought to the point, that's a whole other theological discussion, that you're finally brought to the point that you realize you're just not going to be able to make it under your own horsepower. That when you reflect upon your life, you see that there are things there that do not commend you into a favorable meeting with God. If that's you today, would you have the courage to admit it? Point one. Would you have the courage to admit it to God? Point two. If you have the courage, would you ask God to show you what you need to do next? And what you need to do next is you need to understand that he has made a way for you And that is through his son, Jesus Christ, who did what you and I could never do. He perfectly fulfilled the righteous requirements of God's law, and then he paid the eternal price for our sin that we could never pay. Point three, understand that it's a limited time offer. Once you go off into eternity, that's it. There's no purgatory. There's no, if you're a Roman Catholic, there's no purgatory. There's no limbo. There are none of those places. Once you blast off into eternity, that's it. So this is a limited time offer. Point four. Maybe it's time to change direction. Abandon the path and walk the path that the Savior is calling you to. Point five. You're never going to see around all the corners as you make this journey. Point six, I promise you with 100% certainty that if you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that if you do that today, you will be eternally secure. God will never leave you nor forsake you. And so that's what I want to leave you with today. That you would speak with someone today Speak with Pastor Roman, speak to one of your deacons here, speak to someone that you trust who can seal the deal, so to speak, and that you can leave from this place assured that you are a child in the hands of God and all of the promises, everything that we've talked about here today, you have become an heir to. They will be yours with all certainty. (laughs) 